0: Welcome everyone. We are continuing our study of Simcha. We are in class number 80. We are specifically discussing the subject of Anava, humility. And last week we mentioned, or we gave a class, on the fact that humility... Let's start again. This class is being given Louis Nishmat Yeshaya 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 Rahamim Sof Tofi Ben Simbol Ruach Hashem Amen. Sponsored by his wonderful family, the Shabbat family. Hashem shall bless you and your entire family. Huh? By his granddaughter. Thank you. So we started last week to discuss the subject of tefillah. And we explained that tefillah is one of the simanim of humility, one of the signs of a humble person if they really recognize that what they have is not from themselves. So obviously, they would go to the address to ask for their needs we ended off last week saying that the tefillah has to be in detail we said because tefillah is on us it's not about throwing it to Hashem it's us taking responsibility and asking Him for help which means that we must do the best that we can, including asking for whatever it is that we need specifically. It's not enough just to generalize. So I want to give you a few examples of that. We find that when Moshe Rabbeinu prayed to relieve the Egyptians of the plague of Daim. Of the frogs. The Pasuk says Vaiitse Moshe Ve Aharon Meim Paro. It says that Moshe and Aharon left Paro Vayzak Moshe El Hashem. Moshe screamed to Hashem Al Debar Hasefar Deim for the issue of the frogs. Asher Sam Le which he put to Par'oh. The Ora Hayim Kadosh asks, what does it Pasuk have to say that he prayed for the frogs that were sent to Par'oh? What other frogs could Moshe Benu be talking about if he would say, Hashem, please get rid of the frogs? So which frogs do you think he's referring to when Egypt has been decimated and destroyed by the frogs? Could he mean any other frogs? The answer is, obviously not. Says the Ora Haim. So why does the Pasuk have to specify that Moshe prayed for the frogs that were sent to Paro? And the Ora Haim says, from here you learn that you have to be specific in your tefillah. It's not appropriate to tell the creator, get rid of the frogs. And you know what I'm talking about. That's not the way it works. It's you and only you that takes that responsibility. And therefore, you have to be specific and ask for help in exactly what you're looking for. We find another example. Actually, the Zohar brings this example. It says that when Yaakov prayed to save him from his brother, Isav, it says the famous words, Hatsilainina miyad ahi miyad Isav. The Zohar says Yaakov only has one brother. So, what does he have to say from my brother, from Isav? Who else? could he be referring to, except Aisav. And says the Zohar, that you have to be specific, because sometimes people say, ahi. They say, my brother, it means my cousin, my brother, my very good friend. So the Zohar says, no, you have to be specific. miyad, ahi, which one? Aisav, and again, another example of how one needs to be specific, during tefillah. It seems that this is so obvious that even the Goyim knew this. How do I know that? Because if you look in Sefer Bamidbar, the Pasuk says, Vayishma haKenani." The Kenani heard. Who is the Kenani? Yoshev haNegev. Those who lived in the south What did they hear? Kiba Yisrael. They heard Am Yisrael was coming. And they went to war against Am Yisrael, thinking that Am Yisrael is going to come to fight with them. Let's review that one more time. Who heard the Kenani? Which Kenani? The one that lives in the south. What did they hear? That Am Yisrael is coming their way. And they got scared and they went to fight with them. Rashi over there says, who is this Kenaani that's living in the Negev in the south? Says Rashi, Ze Amalek. So really it wasn't Ken'ani. It was Amalek. So like the Pasuk says, Amalek Yoshev Be'eretz Hanegev. Who lives in the south of Israel? Amalek, not Kenani. So why does the pasuk call them Vayishma hakena'ani The ken'ani heard Says Rashi Allah vashalom Veshinat Lishono. Which means That the ken'ani Excuse me This nation Amalek When they saw Am Yisrael was coming their way And they were frightened They said guys Let's not talk Amaleki Let's talk like the Kena'anim. Let's change our language. So when they go out to war, you would hear the soldiers talking, in Kenani, not Amaliki. Why would they do that? He says, mm-hmm. Kedeh, in order, Sheyahu Yisrael, that when Yisrael prays, they know that I'm Yisrael, their kawah isn't in their machine guns, their kawah isn't in their ammunition, their koach isn't tefillah. That's why they hired Bil'am to fight with them, not a physical battle, a spiritual battle. He came to curse them. He knew that there's no way to beat them unless you get them spiritually. So they knew that when they go out to war, that what's going to be the biggest ammunition of our people? It says, a call Yaakov. Our kawah is tefillah. So when Am Yisrael is going to pray, as they're fighting the war, or before they're fighting the war, they're going to pray, latet كَنَعَنِيمْ which means the soldier fighting Amalek, at night he's praying, Hashem, please help me, beat the Kena'ani. Why does he think is a Kena'ani? Because he hears them speaking the language of Kena'an. In reality, they're not Kena'anim. In reality, they were Amalek. But Amalek says, how am I going to avoid the tefillah of these people? See, now I know how to do it. I'm going to change my language. They're going to think I'm a Kenani. They're going to pray, Hashem, please save the Kenani. They're not going to say, save me from war. Remember, specific. So they're going to pray, save me from the Kenani, but it's really not the Kenani, it's Amaleki, and it will be a ta'ut, it will be a mistake in the tefillah, and the tefillah won't work. One more time. Even Amalek understood, a goy, Amalek understood, the power of tefillah, that's one haidush. But furthermore, they also understood that tefillah is only as powerful as its details. You can't just pray. It's got to be very specific. The most specific you can be. So therefore, they knew if they went to war against Am Yisrael, they need to fight their tefillah. To get them not to pray, they can't do it. But one thing they can do is, They can make their tefillah weak. How? By making them think they're someone else. So when they would pray for the Kena'ani, that's not who they're fighting. And their tefillah would not be effective. That's how important the details of tefillah is. That a person needs to go as much as they can in detailing what they need. About whom and for what. So that's just a, that's just a uh, completion of last week's uh, class. But since we're on the subject, I'd like just to elaborate a little more on this powerful subject of tefillah. The Gemara says in Masechet Berachot, that someone who prays in the back of the Bet keneset, which the Gemara explains means he turns his face while they're praying, he turns his face the other way, basically not interested. He's basically involved in other things. So the Gemara has some very strong words about this person. Quotes a pasuk in Tehillim, Saviv resha'im ithal lekhun. Saviv means those who go in circles in the Bed Knesset, which means they're not involved in the tfilah, They're doing their own thing. So the word, the pasuk, was used for them is Rasha'im. Fine. The Gemara continues, that same pasuk says, Saviv Rasha'im italakhun, Kerum Zulut libne Adam. Says the Gemara, what does the ending of that pasuk mean? I'm not gonna go now through the details with you, but bottom line in bottom line is what is the ending of that pasuk? The Gemara says that it's very unfortunate that people go to Bet Knesset and t- turn their attention somewhere else. And why are they doing it? Meaning you have to remember they came to shul. So if they're coming to shul, that means they have some connection. Torah and mitzvot and tefillah So why would they Turn their head And be Disconnected from the tefillah Again, we're talking Not about a person who stayed home And said I'm not praying He came to Bet Knesset To join the tzibur That means he Understands that there's something Called tefillah, but yet When he's there, he's not really Interested Why is that happening? So the pasuk ends and says, I'll tell you why it's happening. Because even though tefillah, says the Gemara, is berumoshel olam. Rumoshel olam means that it is from the highest, it reaches the highest areas in the world. But people are mezalzel. The word mezalzel means they don't understand the value. It's like if I gave you a beautiful diamond worth $100,000, gorgeous, and you treat it like a piece of crystal. You're throwing it around, you're leaving it out, you're not taking care of it. I say, hey, what's going on? Isn't it beautiful? Don't you see how beautiful that stone is? And he say, of course it's beautiful. So why are you not making sure to take care of it. But it's just a crystal. Oh, no, it's not a crystal. It's a diamond. It's something very beautiful. The Gemara is basically saying that there is something in our midst that is from the highest value. It is so powerful for our daily lives. But yet we don't really recognize how valuable it is and we're mezalzel, which means we belittle it. We don't belittle it out of evil. We don't belittle it because we are non-believers. We belittle it because we're ignorant. If a person thinks that stone is a crystal, he's just ignorant. But that ignorance is leading to a very unfortunate situation where he will lose that crystal or that diamond. Says the Gemara, the reason why people will hang out in the back of the Bet Knesset and be not interested even though they know there's something called tefillah and they might be believers, I mean, they're in shul, is because they don't really understand the value. If they would understand the value, they would never do that. They would never talk in shul. They would never not focus on what they're doing, if they would understand the value. It's obvious. The more valuable something is, the more we are invested in it. So the Gemara says, that from all the things that we do, tefillah is rumo shel olam. It is from the highest places imaginable. That's where it reaches. We'll go back to that later on. I think we're one of those people. I put myself included. I think tefillah is definitely a part of our lives. We are definitely going to the Bet Knesset, which means we have our Sidur, we have our tefillot, whether it's the Tehillim that we read, whether it's the Shahrit, min the men that pray in the Bet Knesset, Men that don't pray in Bed Knesset, women who pray at home, sometimes in the Bed Knesset. For sure, Tefillah is part of our daily existence. But we could be from those people who are like those who are hanging out in the back and really not so interested. Either we're talking during our tefillah. That's clearly a sign of disinterest. Or we pray without understanding what we're saying. It's also a a sign of disinterest. Or sometimes we rush through it. Another sign of disinterest. We're not praying from the heart. Another sign of disinterest. So hanging out in the back is not necessarily people in the back row. Hanging out in the back means we're not investing in our tefillot. And if I would ask you one second, but you pray. So if you're praying already, why are you not invested? And the answer is that you look at tefillah as something nice and something that hopefully might help you, but we don't really know the value of it. So we do it, but we don't really invest in it. That's what the pasuk is describing. People who pray, but don't really value their tefillah, and it is their biggest loss, as we'll soon see. One of the reasons that we don't value tefillah and we don't pray with all of our heart and we don't invest in tefillah is because of ego. You see, people who have ego have a very hard time asking someone else for anything. How many people do you know that if they needed money they would ask someone, a friend, and say, could you please give me money? I don't have food for today. Most people, even if they needed food, they will not ask for the money. They'll figure out another system. They'll get another extra credit card. Maybe they'll take a loan. They'll figure out some way Or maybe someone who knows about it, they'll tell that person because it's already out as far as that person is concerned. But to go and say to someone, I need money, that is a very hard ask. Why is it so hard? You need money, it's a reality. Like, for example, if there was a cup of water or a soda can. On the other side of the table, it's normal to ask, could you pass that soda? We can ask for help sometimes. Would you mind opening that door? Why, when it comes to asking for things like money, over there, it's very hard? So the answer is very simple. It's called ego. Having a soda on the other side of the table, there's no real ego involved. Happens to be the soda's there, not here. It doesn't make me any less of a person because the soda can is on the other side. So could you pass it please? I don't mind help. Really as humans, we don't mind help. As long as it's not striking our ego. As it becomes an ego issue, for example, if I don't have money, so that means I'm less than you. That's why I'm asking you. You have money, I don't. I can't ask. Because it's a knock on my ego. And as much as I can to go in this world without asking someone for help, I won't do it. The more important the item is, the worse it is and the the more difficult it is to ask. Because the more important the item is, that means it makes you less important by not having it. So for a person to go in front of the creator of the world and say, creator of the world, I need your help. I need your help. I'm in your hands. That's a very tall order for someone who walks around thinking they are the deciding factor in their success in life. They're the one who makes whatever is made in their life. Ego makes it very hard for a person to pray with all their heart. Will they come to shul and pray? Yes. Will they check off the box and say, I prayed this morning, yes, because, you know, it's a mitzvah, it's a nice thing to do. But to be a sincere tefillah from the heart, to say, Hashem, I need you, I'm turning to you, you're my only address, that's not so easy. So the enemy of a strong tefillah, an invested tefillah, is ego. But there's another reason why we're not invested in our tefillah. Is that we have become disappointed so many times in our lives from a tefillah or tefillot that have gone unanswered. We pray so many times. And sometimes we feel like nobody's listening. Someone, sometimes we feel nobody cares. And after another prayer and another prayer and another prayer, we just lose hope. And we no longer invest in our Tfilot. I believe every one of us knows exactly what this feels like. And what happens when you lose hope in your Tfilot, you stop to believe in your Tfilot. That means even if you pray, but you don't believe in your prayers. You pray because maybe you're accustomed to it. You pray because maybe there's nothing else to do. But you're really not believing in your tefillot. I once had a story, I mentioned it on Shabbat. Happened about ten years ago. The menahel of the boys' school calls me up and says we have a big problem. So we have a boy in first grade, best boy in the grade, most responsible, smartest, always doing the right thing. One of those just perfect boys. And the rabbi was introducing them to Sefer Tehillim, and he gave out these beautiful books of Tehillim for each boy. And the first time he asked all the boys, open up Tehillim. Open up the book. We're going to go read. And this boy refused to open it up. He will not open the book. And he asked him again, Please, open the book. He won't open the book. He threatened him. He won't open the book. He left him alone. Maybe he's having a bad morning. The next day, We're learning Homash. The boy opens up. No problem. We're learning Navi. No problem. Okay, boys, take out your tehillim. The boy won't take out his tehillim. Open the sefer. He won't do it. Major problem. What's going on with this boy and sefer tehillim? First grader. So they found out, speaking to the boy, after much questions and back and forth, that a few months before, this boy's grandfather got very sick. It was a shock to the entire family. And of course, as many people react, they said, come on, we got to start saying Tehillim. So this family was saying Tehillim by every meal. Their friends are saying Tehillim. They open up Tehillim chats. and a few months after his grandfather passed away saying Tehillim every day for his grandfather that he should have Refuash Lema. and he passed away and this boy is not opening up Sefer Tehillim he's a smart boy I was proud of such a boy actually That he was so honest You know in life sometimes We're not honest with ourselves We do things and we don't really believe in them But such a boy A six year old with such maturity Is very hard to find He realized that Tehillim doesn't work If it worked His father would be alive I mean we said Tehillim So he can be Healthy and well And it didn't work What do you do when things don't work? You obviously say it's not for me. What an amazing story! Thank God we caught it when he was six, so we helped him. But you know how many people have that issue? You know how many people have been disappointed by their Tehillim, or by their Amidah, or by their Tefillot. And we suffer from that. Because when you don't get what you need, you get disappointed. When you get disappointed, you don't believe in your tefillot. So even if you pray, your tefillot don't mean much. Even if that boy would open up the that would have been actually the worst thing that could happen, is that he would have opened up his tefillim and he would have just read it because... The rabbi said, but for the rest of his life, he didn't believe one word that he was doing. That would be equal to closing the tehillim. Praying tehillim without believing in your tefillah or not praying is almost the same. So, So many of us have been disappointed because we haven't gotten the answer that we prayed for so prayer didn't work now by the way just so you should know it's not always like that a lot of times we feel that we didn't get answered and we did I remember someone asked me but this happened a few times where somebody comes up and says Rabbi I feel like I feel like Hashem never listens to my tefillot you know I pray everyday Every day I pray. I pray three times a day. I feel like I never get answered. So I asked them, Are you healthy? Say so he says yes. I asked him, Do you have paranasa? He says yes. I said, Are you married? He says, yes. Do you have children? He said, yes. I said, and you're not being answered? I said, what are you praying for? You see, the way Hashem made the world, very important to know this, that we will never be able to see, or rarely be able to see, the tefillah and its result connected. Hashem made the world that you will be healthy every day. But never know that that could have been from the prayer you prayed last week. You could have parnasa, but never know which tefillah caused it. Hashem made that on purpose. Imagine every time you would get something, it would have the tefillah that brought it. Imagine you had a child. Oh, wow. Oh, that was last year's Kippur Na'ilah. Beauty. Wouldn't that be beautiful if everything we received in life, we would know where it came from? It would be so nice. You know what would happen in such a reality? People would just be praying with all their hearts. You would go to Bed Knesset and you would see everyone with their Sidur and you would see them sitting with seriousness and saying every word. From the heart. You would see people buying sidurim. That's Hebrew-English, if they don't know Hebrew. You would see them writing notes in their sidur. And you would see them invested daily in their prayers. That's what the world would look like. You would see people saying, another five minutes. Why are we rushing this tefillah? Five more minutes. And if you ask me, so what's wrong with that world? Isn't that a beautiful world? The answer is, it's a beautiful world, but... Unfortunately, it would not be our world. It would not be free choice. It would be basically Hashem forcing us to pray. Because when you know the result's so obvious that it's coming, then there's no free choice. There's no free choice when you don't jump off the bridge. That's not called free choice, even though you can jump off the bridge. But it's too obvious. And therefore, it's not called free choice. If Hashem would make things so obvious and so clear, there's no free choice. So therefore, Hashem took away that knowledge from us. We will not know which tefillah caused what. Beracha. We will not know. Because if we did, then it wouldn't be us that's praying. It would be a no-choice prayer. And that's not the purpose of life. So in reality, many times we are answered. But we just don't know it. And many times the tefillah is answered, but not exactly in the time that you want. You know where we find that? Very simple, obvious example. By Noah. After the waters calmed, now you have to remember the waters in the time of Noah, they reached 30 feet above the highest mountain in the world. So imagine this world submerged underwater. How much? Enough water that we go 30 feet above the highest mountain. The entire world. Underwater. You know how long that would take? to take that water to go down it would be a miracle if it happened in a hundred years perhaps but Hashem made a miracle and it happened very quickly but then when Noah is ready to leave the pasuk says that vahi miketz arba'im yom as the water subsided, he started to see the top of the mountains. Means it was going down very, very fast in a miraculous way. So he waited 40 days and then he opened the halon, he opened the window and he sent the raven. He wanted to see if it's time to leave. Is there any dry earth? He sent the raven and he went and came back. And there wasn't any dry land yet. So what happened? He waited another seven days. And then he sent the Yonah. He sent the dove to see if the water went down for dry land. But it says the Yonah couldn't find any place to stand. On this earth. So she went back to the Teva. It's the only spot. He waited another seven days. And then... He sent the Yonah again. And that time... The Yonah came back... With... A... Leaf... From an olive tree. And Noah knew... It was time. He waited seven more days. Meaning she only was able to get from the tree. But she couldn't land. But he knew it was coming. He waited seven more days. And then he sent the Yonah and she never came back. And he knew, done. The obvious question on this story is why is Hashem making Noah crazy the whole thing is a miracle anyway which means the salvation is here the mabul is over, it's done we're ready to resettle the world and the whole thing is a miraculous drying of the earth so why is there a delay in bringing Noah out of the Teva and the answer is that there's, some, there's a word in Hebrew called tohelet. Tohelet means that has, you have to sometimes hope and pray and you have to wait. As they say, good things come to those who wait. What does that mean? Basically, It means that Hashem may have already answered your prayer. Noah, when he prayed in the tevata to get out, Hashem answered him, yes, you're getting out. But that doesn't mean you're getting out the second. Your tefillot could be answered, but they sometimes take time. You know, part of humility is to realize that the world doesn't run on your clock. Just because you want it now, that doesn't mean it's the right thing for you now. So the very thing you're praying for, you could have been already answered, but it takes time to get there. Hashem has His calculations why it needs to happen in another week, in another week, another month, another year. You don't know why. So sometimes we're answered and we don't know that we got answered. Sometimes we're answered and it didn't yet happen. But clearly sometimes... We just don't get answered. That's a fact. Clearly, sometimes you pray for someone and they pass away. You didn't get answered. It's not that you didn't connect the dots. It's not that you have to wait. It's not like that. Whatever you were praying for, you got no answer. And that type of prayer is extremely disappointing. That's where you lose so much hope and so much belief in your prayer. How do I I know, by the way, that if you don't believe in your tefillot, so your tefillot don't have a lot of value. How do I know that? I mean, you could pray every, imagine this, you pray every day, religiously, every day. And you say, Tehillim, you don't miss a tefillah. And you do it in the best way but you really don't believe in your tefillot. And you do it on the chance that maybe it could work because what else are you going to do? You're stuck. You do it because it's a mitzvah. So you do it. You do it because that's what you're accustomed to. But you don't really believe that your tefillot are powerful and that your tefillot can actually make a difference in your life. If you don't believe that, Your tefillot are very weak. I don't want to say useless. That's a very strong word. I'm not big enough to say useless. But they're very weak tefillot. And if you ever wonder why you're not being answered, that could be the answer. You don't really believe in your tefillah. It's like going to a person and saying, could you help me? But you don't really believe that they can help you. What you're doing is you're weakening your chances with that person. That's the way it works. If you don't believe in your tefillot, your tefillot become very weak at best. How do I know that? We open up Sefer Shmuel, a pereg that is dear to every Jew and especially every woman. We find a story of a man, a very big tzaddik by the name of Elkanah. El Kana, the Torah, the, 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 the Navi says, he was married to two women. One was Hana, one was Penina. We know the story. Penina had children, Hana didn't. And the Pasuk says that this man, ve'Ala Ha'ish Hahu, this man would constantly go, me'iro from his city, Lehishtahavot, which the Malbim says it means he wants to pray. He went to pray, the way they used to pray those days, they would bow completely, and to bring korbanot, he would pray for his wife, Hannah, because she was barren. You could imagine the pain of not having a child, especially if the other woman has children. V'khen ya'aseh shana beshana. Which means he would do this all the time, year after year. Whenever he would go to the Beta Migdah, to the Mishkan in Shiloh, he would do this prayer and he would do everything he can. And it says that one time when he came back, he saw that Hana was crying and she wouldn't eat. So Helkana, her husband, told her, Hana. Why are you crying? And why don't you eat? And why do you feel so bad? I am better than ten boys. Must have been a really good husband. Better than ten boys. Wow, what a husband. We know how special even one boy is to a mother. He says, "I'm better than ten boys. The way I treat you, the way I respect you, the way I give you your needs. Why are you? Why do you? Why do you look so upset?" The next word, not the next perek, not the next, you know, chapter. The next word. Look at these words. Vatakom <speaking in> Hana. <Hebrew> Hana got up and she went to the Mishkan Al-Hashem and she prayed in the Mishkan herself and she started to cry in her tfilah, which we know is the famous tfilah of Hana. Hana Vatumar. So many of our halachot of tfilah or our behaviors in tefillah come from that tefillah, but that tefillah, actually, for many years, Hana didn't pray. She sent her husband. The Malbim says, "What happened? Why all of a sudden now?" It says, year after year, he would go to pray in the Mishkan. And he would come back. Never said that Hana went to pray. What happened this time that all of a sudden Hana says, I better get up and go and pray. The Malbim says, why now? Listen to these words of the Malbim. These are such powerful words. Says the Malbim, because until now she said, I have a husband like Elkanah. He's from the greatest people in the generation. I need to go to Shiloh to pray for my needs. It's also his needs. So I'll pray what I do home. But to go to the Mishkan, my husband's on it. He's praying. She relied on her husband's tefilot. Ve'ata. But now, ra'ata. She sensed. She'hu mitya'esh mina rahamim. That he gave up hope on his tefillah. When he told her, Why are you crying? I'm just as good as ten boys. She heard in his tone a man who gave up on his Hit orera, She says, forget it. This tzaddik with his tefillot, it's not gonna help me if he doesn't believe in his tefillot. This man gave up. So she says, I need to go pray. I have to pray for myself. A tefillah that you don't believe in is a tefillah that loses its value. You cannot approach the creator of the world to help you because everything is in his hand and you actually think that it doesn't work. If you think it doesn't work, so then your tefillah is not a tefillah. The whole idea of tefillah is that you know you're coming to the right address. And in fact, it's the only thing that works. You got to make hishtadlut. You got to make your effort to show that you really want it. But the only thing that works is that Hashem is going to answer you. So if you go into your tefillah and you don't believe in it, you're really not doing much. That's what the great Hannah taught us. That if you pray and you don't believe in your tefillah, your tefillah may not be worth it. So let's review. What's the reason why we don't respect tefillah the way we should? Number one, Very often, oh, number one is ego. Number two, we don't feel like we're answered, even though we are answered a lot. Number three, we don't see the answer now. But the answer may be yes, but you have to wait. Hashem knows why you have to wait. And the last one, which is the hardest one, is that when we're hurt because we got no answer. And we lose hope in our tefillot. And I think for that, we need a little bit of a chizuk to understand why is it that we pray sometimes and we don't get answers. And there's no greater example of someone who prayed and didn't get answered in all of Tanakh than the greatest man alive. Excuse me, the greatest man that ever lived. It's Moshe Rabenu. We all know the famous prayers of Moshe Rabenu in Parashat Va'et Hanan that we just read a few weeks ago. Moshe Rabenu is pleading to go into Eretz Yisrael. He prayed not once, not twice. He prayed 515 times. Hazal tell us each tefillah was its own world. Moshe Rabbeinu's tefillah and my tefillah didn't have no comparison. Moshe Rabbeinu, remember, is a man who was able to see God face to face, whatever that means. Moshe Rabbeinu conversed with the Creator. Moshe Rabbeinu was in Shamayim for 40 days and 40 nights. So his tefilot are way beyond what we could reach. I know that in my life, and I'm sure you have as well, there's a memory of a great tefillah that I had in my life. That Anytime I think of a great tefillah, I think of that one. There was something that was really going wrong in my life, and there was a tefillah, there was an arbit at midnight by myself in a hospital room that I don't remember when it started or when it ended. But I knew it was an hour at least later. It wasn't a tefillah where I said, okay, let me have kavanah. It was just like a different experience. I'm sure you've had a special tefillah in your life. Maybe it was in a hospital, Maybe it was by the Kotel. Maybe it was Kever Rahel. Maybe it was on a random Tuesday. Maybe it was on Yom Kippur. Whatever it is. I'm sure there's some tefillah that you can look back and say, oh, I remember that tefillah. Moshe Benu did that 515 times. And not even the tefillah that you had. It's Moshe Benu's level of tefillah. 515 times Moshe Rabbeinu prayed for something. Hashem tells him after 515 He tells him Rav Stop. No more. Al Tosef Daber Elai Od Davar Hashem commanded him not to pray. By the way listening to Hashem in that moment was not so easy. That, that's a mitzvah that's very hard to keep. Could you imagine Hashem says, listen, one more tefillah and I have to say yes. So stop. Could you imagine what you would do in that situation? 515 desperate tefillot, something you need really bad. And now you know from the creator of the world that one more and he has to give it to you. And he says, don't do it. That's not an easy thing not to do. But of course, Moshe Rabenu listened. The obvious question on this whole story is why would Hashem allow Moshe Benu to pray 515 times for something he knows He's not giving him. This is not one of those items that if you pray more, then he's going to give it to you. He just wants you to pray a little more so this way he can give it to you on the next prayer. It's not like that. The answer is no. You're not getting it. In fact, there is a commandment that you shouldn't pray to make sure you don't get it. I'm not giving it to you. So why would you string him along 515 times when you know the answer is no and anyway you know you're going to tell him to stop so tell him to stop after the first one would you see your son crying begging for something in pain and you let him continue and continue and continue knowing that you're not giving it to him wouldn't you just stop now? I'm not giving it to you. Stop. You're not getting it. Why would Hashem do that? Not only that, Hashem actually, He led Him to pray. Hashem actually, He brought His hopes up. You know, Moshe Rabbeinu, what's interesting about this 515th filot? is that Moshe wasn't going to pray at all. Because Hashem told him, you're not going. That's it. Okay. Not going. He's not going. He wasn't going to pray. So why did he pray? The pasuk says, I prayed to Hashem in that moment, in that time she says, what does it mean in that time? What time? What was special about that time? she says, Allah shalom. After Am Yisrael captured some of the land across the Jordan, which means before they crossed the Jordan into Eretz Yisrael, where they were, they captured some countries, which became part of the land of Israel. They became an annex to the land of Israel, and guess who was there at the time? Moshe Rabenu. So Moshe says, "Oh, wow. I'm here. This is Eretz Israel. God says you're not going to Eretz Israel. So he says, maybe Shemeh, hutara Maybe what God said I can't do." is no longer, maybe God changed His decree. Because if I'm not supposed to go to Israel, what am I doing here? I'm in Israel. That's why He went to pray. Which means that Hashem kind of strung Him along. Ba'etai, Hashem gave Him hope when there was no hope. Why did God do that? Is God so heartless to see his son praying and he knows he's not going to answer him and he lets him go? He leads him into it knowing he's not going to answer him? How cruel is that? Why would Hashem do that? These are some of the feelings that we have too. We too have tefillot and sometimes we have high hopes that we didn't have an hour before. doctor says it's hopeless. You get a phone call 10 minutes later from somebody. "No, No, 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 I think we could do it. We saw something. We saw something. We think it's possible. And then a month later, the something is nothing. They saw nothing. You know how many times it happens where you have hope just to realize in the end that there was really no hope? Why would God do that to me? Okay, someone is sick, they need to die, okay. Make it easy for us. Make it quick. If a person's sitting in a hospital bed, if he's not going to make it anyway, just take him. What's the point of, okay, another test Another this, another that. Let's get another doctor. Oh, he says, yes, maybe he can. All that. Another tefillah, another tehillim, another... For what? He's not getting better. It's over. God knows that. Sometimes he knows. It's not happening. So why string us along, sometimes for days, sometimes for weeks, sometimes for months, and sometimes for years? Why? It's a very big question. And the answer is a very big answer. It's a very important answer. And I believe that nobody more than our community can understand this answer and appreciate this answer. Of course, if you never heard the answer, you may not have known it. But once you know it, you say, oh wow, yeah. I hear that. That makes sense. It may even be obvious after you hear it. But first, we're gonna give you a source. I'm not gonna give you an answer without a source. I don't like talking without sources. There is a very famous parasha it says that Hashem decided he is destroying Sedom. Sealed. Done. Sedom has no longer any merit for survival. The city is going to be destroyed. That means already God thought out all the possibilities and saw no hope. Then the Pasuk says after Hashem made this decision Vadonai Amar. Listen to this. Hashem says, so the Torah is reporting to us what Hashem was thinking. Ham ani me Avraham asher ani ose. Is it really right of me to hide from Avraham what I'm about to do? I'm about to destroy Sedom. I'm not going to tell him. Now, why should he tell him? What does he owe Abraham? It's not his partner. It's not Abraham's family. What are he have to tell him for? So the pasuk continues and says, How can I not tell him? He is going to be a great nation, a powerful nation. All the nations of the earth will get berachah through him. How can I not tell him? He's going to be a great nation. He's going to be the source of blessing to so many people. How can I not tell him about destroying Saddam? Anyone who reads this pasuk says, I don't get the beginning and how it connects to the end. Hashem is destroying Sedom. So he wants to inform Avraham his friend. Why does he have to inform him? Because Avraham is going to be a great nation. And he's going to be the source of the blessings of the world. So, why being a great nation makes it necessary for me to tell you I'm destroying Saddam? What does one have to do with the other? And the answer is, This answer is not just an answer to a question. This answer is a life-altering answer. It's a life-changing answer. This answer will change your life. There are sometimes questions and answers and they're cute and they're nice for the Shabbat table and they're beautiful Torah to share. And sometimes an answer to a question changes your life forever. This is one of those answers. The Magid Meduvna gives a beautiful mashal to explain the answer. He says that once there was a businessman, an older man, on a long business trip, and he went with a younger person. They're doing business somewhere out of the country. The older man has only one child, the younger fellow has many children. After they finish their trip, they're going they're back. Going home, he says to his friend, let's stop by the store. Have some nice clothing here. Let's buy something for our kids. We've been away for so long. He says, it's a good idea. The older man goes in first. He looks around. He sees a beautiful suit for his son for the holidays. He tells the man, I'd like to have a suit. That one for my son. How, how, what size is your son? I don't really know the size. Well, does he look like that guy? Does he look like that guy? Is he tall like me? Is he fat like him? Is he? So he's there for two hours trying just to decide what size the suit should be for his son. Finally, he got to the what he thinks was the right size, and he bought it, he packaged it, and he was ready to go on his way. And now his friend goes next, and he likes this suit, and that suit, and this suit, and he says to the guy behind the counter, so give me one of this, give me one of that, give me one of that, give me one of that. He buys five suits, he's put them in the bag for me, thank you very much. The older man is looking at him, he's saying, What is wrong with you? He said, Why are you buying a suit for your children if you don't know the size? He says, let me explain to you the difference between me and you. He says, You only have one kid. If you bring this suit back home and it doesn't fit on him, it's waste. I have Baruch Hashem five kids, all sizes, all heights. If it doesn't fit for one, it'll fit for the other. So I'm not worried. Says the Magid Meduvna, that filot. I don't know if he used these words, but that's what he means. That tefillot are always answered. Especially a sincere tefillah. A tefillah is always answered. Always. So we gave examples of that in the beginning of this class. But we gave an example of sometimes that you're not answered. Says the maginda, no, no, no. Tefillot are always answered. There's no such thing as a tefillah not answered. Never happened beru is olam. Like the Gemara says, it reaches the highest levels in Shamaim. You know what the Gemara means when it says it reaches the highest levels in Shamaim? It means that every prayer that's sincere is reaching the destination where it needs to be in order to rain down on you or somebody close to you or someone that you're responsible for. Very much like a cloud that develops but doesn't always rain in the same spot where it developed. A is creating a cloud. Where is the cloud? Olam. It's right where Hashem needs it but it doesn't always come down in the spot that you were waiting for it. Hashem says, I'm about to destroy Saddam. Am I not going to tell Abraham? he's going to be a great nation? He's going to have so many children. He's going to have so many people that are going to benefit from his blessings. Should I not tell him? And what does telling him do? Oh, when Abraham is told that a country is going to be wiped out, Hashem knows what Abraham's going to do. Abraham says, Please, Hashem, wait. Come on. Don't do this. Maybe there's 50 righteous people. And there he goes, starting to pray. Hashem, please. There are 50 good people here. Would you save the city for 50? God says, Yes, I would. But there's no 50. Okay, God, well, hold on one more time. How about 45? If there's 45, would you save the city for 45? God says, yes, I would, but there's no 45. Okay, one more time. What if there's 40? Please, would you save them for the 40? Hashem says, I will save them for 40, but there's no 40. What about 30? And what about 20? And what about 10? This is the conversation. The tefillot, the requests. The request. And the answer is, there isn't ten. We're not saving the city. What happened to those tfilot? What happened to the tfilot of Abraham Avinu? Where'd they go? They went on us. We're still benefiting from his tfilot. In fact, in our tefillot every morning, we remind Hashem of Avraham's tefillot the tefillot of Abraham Avinu are not gone God says why would I waste an opportunity to bring out tefillot from this man if he was the end of the line then who needs it but he's going to have so many children so many people are going to benefit from his blessings why would I not tell him why would I not take this opportunity to bring out the tfilot from Abraham Avinu? Where else am I going to find a man like this? That's going to pray like that. The tfilot that we pray are like clouds. They come down back on us and sometimes on our children, and sometimes on our grandchildren, and sometimes on generations later, depending who you are, depending how powerful your tefillot are, depending how sincere they are. Your tefillot can be for the children you never had yet. It could be for experiences that your children will have, that they'll need. And I say, who better than us that could understand this? I'll volunteer first. Who better than me that can understand this? I know that in my life, in so many areas, I see siata Dishmaya. I see Hashem's help. I can't deny it. I see how Hashem helps me, in so many ways, in so many places. I see it clear. So why do I have si'ata dishmaya? How come? Well, one answer is I'm so great. But I'm honest with myself. I know I'm not so great. I know I wasn't so great for many years of my life. And even if I got better, I'm not sure that I deserve such si'ata dishmaya. What? is the reason that I have it. I have no doubt. It's not because of today's class. I have no doubt. It's because I had a father that 90 years of his life didn't miss a tefillah. 90 years with a minyan. 90 years with never talking during tefillah. 90 years with coming to tefillah dressed before tefillah, 90 years of coming an hour before Tfila. I remember watching him At 5am Tefillah is 6 5am And he has this little tehillim With all notes on his tehillim This man wrote a book on tehillim But in his, in his own tehillim He has notes So that a pasuk would be read And he would make sure to understand What he's reading Every morning. 90 years. Of, where did all those tefillot go? Those tefillot are part of my family. My family, not only myself, sees so much beracha from those tefillot. I don't know that my tefillot, I know they're not like his. But... His tfilot were the clouds that was raining on my family. I have no doubt about that. And I don't think anyone here should have a doubt. Our kahal is blessed. There is tremendous biracha in our kahal. Nobody could deny it. You have to be blind not to see it. Everywhere you walk, everywhere you look, Where is all the biracha coming from? Are we really so much smarter than everybody else in the world? We're that much more educated than everybody in the world? We know how to talk better than everybody else? We work so much harder than everybody else? Is that really the truth? Instead, look around and see how many people in our kahal are ignorant. Ignorant. If they sent you an email, you couldn't read it. You'd say, where is this guy from? Which school did he go to? There's not a period, there's not a comma, there's not a nothing. I can't write three sentences in English. You have people who can write poetry, beautifully written. They don't have a dollar to their name. And this guy, he's a billionaire. I know people who have so much wealth, they can't speak English. They don't speak English in an English-speaking country. And so many of us can can share the same stories I gave you a few extremes, but it doesn't have to be that extreme. Where is the Beracha coming from? Are we such righteous people? Could you honestly say that you live your life so righteously that of course you're deserving of the Beracha? So it's not your hard work because people work harder than you. It's not your brains because people are smarter than you. It's not your education because people are more educated than you. It's not your looks. It's not... So what is it? Oh, well, we have Hashem's help. Really? You're such a righteous person? Tell me. You're so righteous that God from all the people said you? That makes sense. doesn't make sense to me. I do some good things in my life, but I don't know that I'm that, on that level. And the answer is very simple. We come from great stock. Where we come from, was a known city of righteous people. It was called the city of scholars. Aleppo was a city of scholars. It was a place where they were living, God-fearing Jews. That is a fact. For thousands of years, we don't come from the street We weren't born in Brooklyn or in Jersey. All those years and all those tefillot of your grandfather, your great grandfather, your grandmother, your great grandmother, people that maybe you never met, you're still benefiting. I'm still benefiting from those clouds. I gotta do something. If you don't do anything, I'm not sure if you get benefit from the clouds. You gotta do something. So much siyata Dishmaya, our kahal has because of those clouds. Not only Avraham Avinu's clouds, Moshe Rabenu's clouds. Your father, your grandfather, your grandmother, your great-grandmother. The hazanish says that sometimes you see, and I've seen it in my own life as well, but seeing this hazanish explains it beautifully. I see it all the time, actually. Sometimes you see people They grew up in completely disconnected homes from religion. Completely. Some people, they have religion, they go to. Sometimes you see a guy, zero, almost zero. And you look at the guy, and he has this thirst for Torah, for Kedusha, and changes completely his life. And it was like easy. And you say, the guy come from? Like, we struggle to raise our children to be holy Jews. And with all the struggles and all the yeshivot and all the shabbatot and all the hinuch and we was still like trying to figure out if they're in a decent place. And this guy, nothing. His parents gave him nothing. He grew up with nothing. Where does he get his kiddushah from? If I didn't see it I can't say a hundred times but for sure dozens of times confidently It just didn't make sense There's a story Happened in Israel a few years ago In Tel Aviv there's a small Beth Knesset. not so easy to get a minyan in Tel Aviv unfortunately There are nine people they need a 10th They're waiting. When is the tenth coming? He's not coming. So somebody went out in the street trying to get somebody, flag someone down. Finally they found that this young man. Didn't look very uh, observant. They told him, please we need a tenth. Could you come in to finish the minyan? He says, Lorotze. you know what that means. Not interested. Please, they're pleading with him. Please, we will beg you. Just come. Just sit. Don't do anything. Just sit down. Lorotzeh. You can understand him. What does he know about tefillah? He never heard the word tefillah in his life. Finally, through it they convinced him he sat down. He sat during the tefillah. He heard something. He felt something. Bottom line is, this young man, started learning with an organization called Lev Lachim who helps people who are completely off started learning once in a while and eventually became an observant fully observant Jew so parents are shocked it's not the kid they raised the friends of the parents are also shocked what happened where did you go wrong what, what, what? what happened you lost your kid So the father says, let me tell you why it happened. He says, my father was an observant Jew and he prayed every tzfilah he had a tehillim never missed a tzfilah. He says and every day in Tel Aviv he would pray in a Bet Knesset you know which Bedkin is it? That same one. That that grandson went to pray Minha. It was the same shul that his grandfather was praying in. That's an example of tfilot that are there in the cloud. And we, me and you are the beneficiaries so many tfilot again we got to do something we have se You know, it says in megillat esther it says that esther was pleading va tosef esther she continued it says but tedaber and she spoke lifneha melech in front of the king hazal tell us the melech in megillat esther Hints to Hashem. Vatipol lifneraglav, And she fell in front of the melech. Vatepk. And she cried. Vatithanen lo. And she pleaded with him. The word vatipol is usually spelled vav, taf, pe vav, lamed. But in Megillat Esther, if you look there, you'll see it's missing a vav. That's how we spell it. And if you add up the letters, you will see the numerical value is 516. Some explain beautifully that during that time in our history where an imminent Holocaust was about to happen to our people, wipe out complete destruction, we needed tefillot. One tefillah of Esther wasn't going to cut it. But it was 516 because there were 515 tfilot of Moshe Rabbeinu that already were there and the 516th was Esther's tefilah and that put it over. You know how many of our tefilot are the 516th tefilah of somebody before us? That is the tefilot reality is that the beru Moshe olam they are in the highest places. And not always do they come down on you. But they will come down on someone who is important to you. The same way someone gave you Tfilot, you are responsible for them too. We are the beneficiaries of all those Tfilot. We need to make sure that our Tfilot are not only for us, but for others around us. We can never lose hope in our tefillot because there's no such thing as a tefillah that's not answered I will just end off by telling you the following some people might be sitting here and saying wait so the way to get things in life is tefillot so you're telling me there are people out there and if they don't pray they don't get anything is that what we're saying today? And let me prove that to you, by the way. The pasuk says, "By Rachel." Look what it says by Rachel. It says here, mm-hmm. "Va'yiskor Elohim et Rachel," which means Hashem remembered Rachel. Remembered means He never forgot her. It means He saw it was time to give her a child. Va'yiskor Elohim et Rachel. The time of the Yeshua is here. Great. Beautiful. And Hashem heard the prayer of Rahel. And He opened her womb. Says the Ora Haim Kadosh, Wait. If the time of the salvation came, Et Rachel. What does it say? And he heard her prayer after. Says the Ora Haim HaKadosh, because even if the salvation is at your doorstep, if you don't pray, you're not getting it. Tefillah is the way to get your salvation. So you're going to ask me, but wait. You're telling me there aren't people out there that make money that never prayed in their life? You're telling me nobody's successful if they don't pray? Don't you see out there how many people don't pray and still get many things that I would want? People get married, they don't pray. People have children, they don't pray. So what are we saying here? We're saying that tefillah is the cause of the salvation. We see plenty of people getting things without tefillah. How do we answer that? So the answer is very simple. The answer is... If you ever went to the jungle or to the safari, you would see animals, you would see elephants, you would see tigers, you'd see lions, you see squirrels all around, you see rats, you see cats, and they're all eating. They're getting their parnasa. All of them are living and given their needs. And if you ask me, when did the elephant pray? How did he get his parnasa? He didn't pray. I thought the way it works is tfila is the key. When did he pray? Answer is he didn't. So how did he get his parnasa? The answer is because the world needs elephants. And the world needs squirrels and cats and dogs. And the world needs wealthy people. And the world needs people who have children. The world needs people to get married. The world needs healthy people. But don't make a mistake. Remember the words of Shalom HaMelech. Not everything you see that looks like a blessing is a blessing. Just because someone built a beautiful home that doesn't mean it's blessed. And just because you have a lot of money, it doesn't mean there's a blessing. And just because you have health, it doesn't mean you have a blessing. Says Shalom HaMelech in mishleh Birkat Hashem, He Ta'ashir. Listen to those words really good. The blessing that comes from Hashem. The word He means it. It means only it will make you truly wealthy. Birkat Hashem, He ta'ashir. Which means there are two channels to get your biracha in this world. You can get it from the elephant channel from the squirrel channel, because the world needs people. It needs whatever it needs. That's one channel. And then there is getting it from Hashem. When you ask Him, and you gives it to you. The one that comes from Hashem has a berakha or berkat Hashem. The pasuk ends, ve'lo <laughs> imah. And there won't be any sadness with that berakha. Which means, every berakha in this world might be a perceived beracha Because it comes with problems It comes with issues Just because you have everything physically Doesn't mean you have everything that you need There's so many By the way, you could have everything And there's one thing in your life And messes everything up You don't need to mess up three things One issue somewhere And everything is messed up So where's the beracha? You have this, you have that, you have this you have one little problem in your heart, that's it. But everything else you have, messed up everything. You have one little issue here, messed up everything. Birkat Hashem, he ta'ashir. A beracha that comes from Hashem is the only wealth. Why? Because it has no side effects, it has no issues. It comes a full beracha, a complete beracha. It's not a beracha that's perceived, it's a beracha realized. This is the power of tefillah. It is extremely worthwhile that we all invest in heartfelt tfilot. Tefillah that's respected. Tefillah from a sidur. Tefillah, we try to understand what we're saying. We give it the right time. We believe in our tfilot. We know the address is only the creator of the world. And he is the one that will give us the answer to our needs. We thank him for being the beneficiaries of the people before us, and we take the opportunity to build for ourselves and the next generation. People are constantly investing. They're buying homes for their children, their grandchildren. They're putting them in business. They're saving money in the bank account. They're buying them all kinds of of bonds and all kinds of... Guess what? You can give your children everything, but if you don't build clouds of tefillot, for your children. It could very well be. All the things you're preparing for them will not have a birkat Hashem. So make sure to invest your tefillot for them as well. Not only for yourself. Baruch Amen Ve Amen